We're the Valentins. And we are passionate about people. Every human was created for fulfilling relational connection. But that's not always what comes easiest. We know this because of our wide range of personal experience as well as our years of working with people. So we're going to crack open topics like dating, marriage, family, and parenting to encourage, entertain, and equip you for a deeply fulfilling life of relational health. Well, babe, we are ready to go, and I'm excited today. Me too. I'm so excited, you guys. These are our very first guests on Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valentins. We are on episode 14, and so we have... We have given you guys a really healthy dose of me and Jason, but today I am really pumped to introduce to you two of our really great friends. Actually, Jenna Zint is my longest friend here in Redding, California. I know. We have quite the history. In fact, we were kind of reminiscing on what we were doing this day 15 years ago. We were sunbathing on the roof of her little apartment. That is so true. We had picked you up from the bus station and you stayed with us literally over spring break. Yes. I came to stay with Jenna and check out Reading and check out Bethel Church and we had a good old time. She was dating Aaron at the time. So let me back up. Jenna and Aaron Zint are with us today and they are two of our closest friends here in Reading and Honestly, what they've what they've done with their marriage, what they've done with their family, what they've done with their work, they're two people in our circle of friends who I admire the most, who mm-hmm. have absolutely paved some really cool ground in the area of relationship and in the area of um, health. And actually, I feel like the Zints carry something on thriving as a family, like mm-hmm. actually figuring out how to thrive in marriage and in friendship, and in family, and so it is our distinct privilege to have them on our podcast today, so welcome, Jen and Erin. I was smiling so big, I had to like step away from my mic. I was like, (laughs) I'm a words of affirmation, so I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, it's amazing. Um, Okay, I want to tell everybody a little bit about you guys, but I want you to really unpack it for Mm -hmm. them, because I'm going to just gloss over the details. Basically, um, Jenna and Aaron have started two different things, one called The Marriage Lab, which is a podcast, which I'm going to link for you guys. The other is called The Habit Lab, which I'm going to have them explain to you. But essentially, the reason why we wanted Jenna and Aaron here today is because we we know that you can have a whole bunch of theoretical great ideas mm-hmm. about how to do marriage or relationship really, really well. You can even have a great understanding of tons of tools Mm -hmm. for how to practically do relationship really well. But when it comes to actually implementing change and seeing sustained change over time Mm -hmm. in your life, you really have to change the way that you live. Mm -hmm. And these friends of ours have cracked some really cool codes Mm -hmm. that I think are mission critical in the area of... um, bringing sustainable change to your life or, you know, we talk a lot about on this podcast, you might have things that go against the normal, maybe how you were raised, you want to actually do things differently, or you're seeing that the fruit of your relationship, the fruit of your marriage isn't actually what you would want it to be 10 years in. Well, what do you actually do about that? If you have a whole bunch of habits Mm -hmm. that are taking you in a direction that you don't enjoy, what are you going to do about it? And Mm -hmm. that actually requires really intentional change, which Jen and Aaron have become pros at. I always say like to people in my office, especially married couples, like if you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the ground and you don't know what to do as far as like growing your marriage, Mm. it's a really confusing, almost scary place to be. And so many people don't know that, right? They don't Mm. know, okay, this is the next step. This is the skill I'm building. This is the tool I'm implementing. This is... The, the new pattern I'm creating, I'm working towards this little thing. Yeah. I don't know that. And on the flip side, like if we can just know step by step, like here's where here I'm growing because I'm doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we can give people that it changes everything. Yeah, that's so good. I actually yes. read this whole book about happiness that says that that's actually the key to happiness is continual growth because yeah. you're proud of yourself yes. too. And you're expanding mm-hmm. your identity. So it was just super interesting. They had all this like um, scientific 
research that shows that that's the cracking the code for happiness. Amazing. Just continuing yeah. it. I think that it has a lot to do with people feeling powerful. Like yeah. people, you might know that you need change, but if you don't feel powerful to make the change, you don't know how to grow into the next step. That's it just good. feels like you're stuck and powerless. Yeah. I almost want to forget that I even know what I know because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if I don't know how to get there. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to dive into all of that. You're going to unpack your story for us, but would you tell us first, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. How long have you been married? Tell us mm. about your family. I'm Aaron's third wife. <laughs> False. I had to get one joke in before he said all the real things. Yeah, we've been married 14 years. We have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And our, our nine-year-old actually got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes about three years ago. So it kind yeah. of feels like we have four kids on some level because yeah. the amount yes. of responsibility and brain space that managing diabetes takes up is mm-hmm. like... A very real footprint in our life. So. Yeah, massive. And we've been, uh, we met at the school of ministry here in Reading, and then uh, we were babies. Yeah, little babies <laughs> back then. I met Jenna when I was still a teenager, technically. Yeah, oh I actually threw his twentieth birthday party. So we, and I, I was interested in him, but I was like, he's nineteen, and I had just gotten my so, my bachelor's. She's way too. And good I was for like, me. no, this is beneath me. But then when he turned literally the day after twenty, I was like, well, maybe. <laughs> and so something like magically changed. He's yeah. so mature now. Yeah, yeah March twenty well. ninth was my birthday. April fourth was when we started dating. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Not even joking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then we've been married for almost 14 years, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Next yeah. month. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah next right? month. We always have to it. do the math because I round up for forever. And I was like, no, it's been like 15 years. He's like, no, it hasn't. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> that's super funny. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your work then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we started, uh, we started our podcast, marriage, yeah. uh, marriage Lab, uh, a few years ago now, I, I think a couple years ago. And we had started it because we wanted a reason for our lives to cross over more. I mean, we have kids and so our lives uh, always do, but it's not the intentionality uh, that we wanted. Uh, you know, we felt like uh, business partners at different times who would just like yeah. pass each other on Roommates, the go. Yeah. Handing off the the kid. Yeah, yeah, ships in the night. Jenna uses that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and too, like, it was interesting. I almost felt like jealous for more connection because he mm-hmm. had areas in men's ministry and just with men that he was showing up really big. And then I had areas with women's ministry, but I was like, literally they're gender separate. So we're never going to get crossover, right. but we're giving all of our free time. So we had to lay down some things because our plates were full to mm-hmm. do it. And one of them was like, I had to start in a mom's ministry with friends and I had to step out and it was so painful, mm. but I knew that like, Oh, actually I want to invest in my marriage. So the sacrifice is worth it. I think sometimes like you can get easy to wait to have more time, but realizing like if that's something that's priority, you have yeah. to make the time. Yes. It's probably yeah. going to be a no somewhere else. So we started it for that reason. And it's, literally done that it's so Mm -hmm. connecting for us it's it's a hobby that grew into more i would say yeah and the hobby really was around just connecting we had a we had a reason to show up to be intentional together and to look each other in the eye and talk yes uh even though microphones were in front of us and we did we do a lot of interviews but nonetheless it still felt like we got a chance to get to know each other better in the midst of all that and it's fun because even now when we like we're three four years in Uh, probably less but whenever we finish an episode like my heart swells a little bit with admiration because Usually Aaron says something wise. I'm like, oh, I've never thought of that. I'm like, oh, this was such a good hobby to find. Totally. <laughs> so that was Marriage Lab. And then um, from there, Jenna has kind of started, though. We helped you guys out with the pre-married class at church oh, right. yeah. for yeah. years. Yeah. And Aaron was already passionate because he had worked with um, Jason for a while. But it was like, oh, how can we tangibly like serve in some way that we yes. get more get more of this? Mm-hmm. And then yes. out of that, we realized how much we love the subject relationship and growing. So then the podcast came and then we started coaching marriage oh yeah doing individual and marriage coaching together which is so fun actually it's interesting because when you coach it automatically like increases the standard for yourself i don't know if you guys oh yeah i'm I'm not gonna be a hypocrite so i better get this down (laughs) yes yeah uh yeah so in when we would start teaching classes together um i would that week after teaching people how to not be defensive when somebody else is sharing their emotions i'd be like oh this is my chance to show the class that i'm doing what i say (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) it's great accountability just to allow yourself to say some things and then have to back it up with your actions when you're in the middle of 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 doing something like that you're like oh this is going to be my content yeah like in the middle of a disagreement and you're like i'm doing so good right now i definitely have taken notes before i'm like oh we did that well or we didn't do that well we should talk about it (laughs) yeah so but also give somebody 
that's listening, the context for your podcast, like what's the premise of the podcast? Oh yeah. So, uh, like our tagline with it is, um, we are interviewing most of the time we're interviewing, but we've actually done quite a few, just us, but people who like each other, uh, real people, the idea is not experts. Cause we felt like there was a lot of polished theories. Yeah. Here's what you do. Do this, then do this. And then had arrived for like the last 10 years. So we actually try to get people in process because it almost feels a little more hopeful to find someone who's three steps ahead of you, but not on the other end of, yeah, Yeah. we've nailed that. So Mm -hmm. it's actually vulnerable. Almost all the guests we have to talk through, like they almost want to discount themselves of like, oh, I haven't arrived or we haven't figured it out. Yeah. We just fought on the way over here. Are you sure you want to interview us? And we're like, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect content. Yeah. Like it's actually usually those episodes are the not, but the ones that people are in process and they've got some breakthrough, but not all their breakthrough is when we get the best feedback of like, oh, I could see myself. I had Mm -hmm. hope when I hadn't had hope before because I was still at stage one where they're at stage three. So I could do it too. So yeah. you have the Marriage Lab podcast. Mm-hmm. You guys do couples and individual coaching. Mm-hmm. And then tell us about the Habit Lab. Okay, so Habit Lab was born uh, about a year ago. I had a business for eight years and I had a bunch of employees. I had about 20 employees. And then sales started decreasing in the last year. And then I had made the decision I didn't want to keep going. So I was going to sell it. So we dramatically let go of all of our people so that we could literally package it to sell. Um, and in that time frame, I had to run it solo for three or four months because you know how you always think like, I felt like the Lord was like, it'll happen fast. And I was like, cool, cool, fast. But like our fast and his fast yeah. are totally <laughs> different. So four months later, I was like still running it like by myself in our son's room. And I had just hours and hours t- to like listen and learn. And one of my friends was like, um, my friend Holly always tease everybody needs a Holly in their life because she's like a truth teller yes. you know the people like you have friends that are just like empathize but then you have other people that you're like yeah it sounds like a pattern in your life because I've seen you do this the last five years and you're like you're not wrong Holly you're not wrong yes <laughs> so she just was like hey if you're gonna run this by yourself since it's not selling instantly like you're gonna have to like probably get some tools that you don't have for time management and structure and organization mm. or wow. this won't work and I was like she's right okay so then I read Atomic Habits and then like my mind was blown. I think because the main premise of Atomic Habits is starting really small and that it's linked with your identity. Mm -hmm. So I read it, I finished it and then literally reread it all again instantly, like just replayed the book. And then I think I read like 15 behavior science related changing your habit books within that, um, that time of selling the business. And I was like, oh my gosh, no one's ever told me this. Like as a society we go so big with our change we make absurdly yeah. large like i'm never gonna eat sugar again you know or yes i'm gonna run an iron man and yeah. i've been a couch potato for the last couple decades and you're like okay <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. yeah sure so i just was interested in actually sustainability i was like i actually don't want to flash in the pan success i want to lose some of these lids that i've had my whole life so in doing that I did. I actually changed a ton. Yeah. Massively transformed our life. And it first you could tell, um, or I could tell because the house was clean. uh, (laughs) Okay. I was the friend. Yeah. House clean was not my strength. I was the friend that people would come over and literally had a girl. I cleaned. I would like frantically clean before people came, like make sure I gave myself an hour to like get it up to standard. And then she sat down on my couch and she was like, I am so glad you're so comfortable with me that you didn't clean your house before I came over. And I was like, yeah, me too. Like this was my best effort. (laughs) I literally thought, do I expose myself or just smile and nod? (laughs) But then the irony is, so then like six, months later my mom came and visited and we were having a discussion at dinner and she's like I you're gonna have to let me go to the library get some books because I usually clean all the time that I'm here to help you catch up and she's like I'm I don't have anything to clean this time and I literally was like yes it's not just in my head I'm actually doing it and it's not just the clean of the house being clean like it wasn't that Jenna's like oh I'm gonna pick up a habit of cleaning the house no I think it's one that it's sustainable and I do it every day and it doesn't feel like a lot of I took the overwhelm anxiousness Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. it's not possible small kids out of it but then fitness actually just yesterday or Monday was my 365th day working out 30 minutes a day which was not missing a single day but because it's shifted at some point along the line where it was like how I care for myself. Like it's no, it's not about changing my body. It's actually about investing in my emotional health, my physical health and like spiritual. Cause I have ADD. So my best time with Jesus is when I'm moving <laughs> and I literally can't like randomly stop to do the laundry accidentally. Yeah. And then 30 minutes later, like, darn it, there went all my Jesus time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And besides the, I mean, it, and it wasn't just starting to do these things, but it was all the the parts that we'll probably get into later about starting small and attaching it to your identity mm-hmm. and celebrating little wins. And, um, and then it just built over time into something that feels like it's a natural part of her. She's not having to go to willpower herself into doing these things anymore. So because I found so much hope and change, I started teaching classes. Okay. So I just taught, um, I'm three semesters deep, or starting my third semester with taking people on a mastery course. So it's 10 weeks. Um, I had tried to do four weeks. I did a prototype last fall, or last, yeah, a year ago, and realized it wasn't enough time. It was it's like tough, handing huh? someone like yeah. a pack of seeds, and you're like, good luck. And I was like, no, actually, want to be there where they plant them yes. and things yeah. grow and weeds pop up and what do they do because that's where people mostly get derailed right is mm-hmm. when things don't go according that's to it. plan they think of it as evidence that it won't work versus like yeah. no no expect you're gonna have to change yeah. and then pivot you know yes so, so you do you offer coaching in habits so people can actually sign up to be a part of your course yeah, mm-hmm. it's a th- yeah, like I said, ten weeks, and it's it's interesting because everyone comes for the like teach me how to make habits, but I think what um, they realize through the course is that it's a bunch of mindset shifts and how much like I can't even emphasize how much your habits are actually linked to your emotions. So most yes. people leave with an awareness of their emotions that they didn't know they had or they weren't aware of their emotions or realizing how much they influence their behavior like you it makes sense when you think about it that your behaviors are a manifestation of your internal like habits like I think about it, your external habits are manifestations of your thought habits it's like a feedback loop so you if you're gonna find longevity you have to change both like your mm-hmm. thought habits and your behavior habits simultaneously yes I think that we should dive into that just a little bit and I know that the that's fine. Yeah, that we have some other questions for you, but can you just dive into that a little bit deeper? Yeah. Um, because I often think that people just try to like will themselves into mm-hmm. doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and which becomes very frustrating, right? Mm-hmm. But you starting to explain like how your emotions play such a role in developing healthy habits and mm-hmm. vice versa. Can you unpack that just a little bit more? Yeah, I think. Um, a lot. The reason I first realized how big of a role emotions played were all the areas that, like, I've tried for so long and had ha- habits die. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. I had like took so and so's advice. I read this book, and finally I realized, like, oh, it's like planting a habit in toxic soil. If mm-hmm. I'm not actually looking at my emotions, and they're all subconscious. I think a lot of times people are like no, I don't think that I'm not capable of changing in this area. But then when you like dig a little deeper, you're like, oh, but your actions are showing what you really believe. Like what you say you believe versus what your heart's believing is evident and the longevity. Like if you have, it almost feels like if you don't, deal with your subconscious beliefs and kind of sit with yourself and your emotions. You're like, what is like, why do I keep feeling fear? Or why do I feel resistant? And like, oh, it's because um, like thinking back to my childhood, like I was taught that I had to make people happy. Like me, people pleasing was a big Mm -hmm. deal and like kind of not being codependent and being okay when people were in pain and me not shame spiraling. And I like knew all the, you know, read all the books about codependency, but then I like really couldn't get to the spot of being okay when other people were in pain and then realizing like, oh, actually, I learned as a little kid that it was my job to take care of everybody. Yeah. And if they weren't okay, it's because I was bad and I was mm-hmm. wrong. So underlying all this knowledge I have about codependency, that belief is still like trumping my head knowledge, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So then actually sitting with myself and doing some work and being okay with it taking a while. I think I used to think like, I found it. Let's rip this sucker out. Yeah. Like one yeah. and done kind of, you know, but like realizing like, oh, I have to almost re teach myself if I had that belief for 30 something years Mm. it's probably going to take a little bit longer to unlearn but it's cool because it's like it's not going to take me 30 years that's like the cool part about healing with the Lord and the Holy Spirit like the process is so much faster but I think not being disappointed when it's not instant yes has been helpful changing my expectations yes the kind of cycle that this whole thing goes through is we have uh, a belief system that puts a time stamp on our habits so if i'm acting in a way that is incongruent with how i what i believe to be true about myself it will end at some point because i just know that this is this is limited i'm not actually somebody who is uh healthy or takes care of their body i'm not somebody who is actually very clean but i'm trying something different Mm -hmm. and you just keep doing that until you're eventually you'll hit some sort of pain point some sort of uh discouraging moment and you go yep see it's not me it's not who i am uh and we even would say we are not people who value cleaning yeah uh, and we're we like would, connection like we almost yeah, yeah. 
felt like you had to choose connection yeah. or structure. I honestly, from what I saw modeled little when I was little too, like I thought they were at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Like people who love structure would do it at the detriment to connection. So yeah. like you had to choose what team you're on, not the idea. So yeah. and then in this like year plus journey for myself, realizing like actually that's untrue because when I chose a life of just prioritizing connection and almost like. I don't know, turning my back on structure, I realized that the chaos I lived in meant I was like constantly fighting fires. So my kids weren't actually always getting my best energy or my relationships, my marriage, whatever, because I was in chaos mode all the time. So the, like the right amount of structure, and I think it's different for everybody, like your lifestyle, who you are, your personality type, but me having no structure was not actually helpful to my relationship. So that was a big, when I I almost did like a little sozo on myself, because I was like, like I said, with my habits, I was like, I know the value of structure, but why am I so resistant? I was like, there's probably a belief that I'm not aware of. So I'm going to do some digging. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Until I decide that structure is not the enemy and that they can coexist. I'm probably not going to have any like breakthrough in this area. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is so valuable for our listeners because our audience is very interested in relational health, whether Mm -hmm. it's in dating, dating relationships, marriage, family, raising kids. And I think that this is so valuable because it's not hard. <clears throat> we all know the experience of coming up on a relational pain point. We mm-hmm. know what it's like to have an area of our marriage that is consistently painful mm-hmm. or wow, this thing that we do always brings disconnection or you know, every time I try to implement X, Y, or Z structure with my kids, I can expect there to be a complete upheaval yeah. and like a revolt on the other <laughs> side of whatever structure I try to implement. So it's easy to find the pain points. I even think about people in their own emotional health journeys. You know, it's actually pretty easy to recognize when you're going around the mountain again and again mm-hmm. and again. And oftentimes people have a ton of shame yeah. when they recognize that they're going around the mountain instead of getting the breakthrough that they really want. Yeah. The hardest thing to do in that moment is to figure out what to do to yeah. break the cycle. And mm-hmm. so this is so incredibly helpful because I just know that there's a ton of people listening who really want to see lasting change mm-hmm. in their relational health, um, in the levels of thriving in their most intimate relationships. But I think people often feel really powerless and stuck to make change mm-hmm. yeah. because it does feel like I'm supposed to go from, I was raised this kid under this set of normals and somehow I'm supposed to rock into this marriage, which I've never done before. Yeah. And I'm supposed to run a triathlon when yeah. I've been a couch potato my whole life <laughs> yeah. to so give that example. And so I really love that we're having this conversation. I think it's going to be invaluable to people before we dive into some of the practicals about that though, could I say something? Yes, I was just going to say how often, because you said the idea of like, it's not enough just to read the book or have the tool. Yes, It's an analogy that I get is I feel like so often people read the book and then it goes on their bookshelf or get the tool and then put it in their garage. And we'll have people on our couch or just even in real life that you're like, totally you took the class but I see zero fruit like how much have you practiced it and I they they, they swung the hammer and hit their thumb and they're like that thing doesn't work yeah. Like, right. yeah, that's that's a you thing, not the hammer thing. Right. People are like, they love getting more knowledge, but the practicing mm-hmm. and the uncomfortable not doing it right the first time, or even yeah. we'll give couples tools and they're like, yeah, we practiced three times and it felt awkward. And as if the awkwardness yeah. is the feedback that it won't work or right. it's not meant for them. But you're like, think about, I always think of a kid or someone trying to ride a, ride a skateboard for the first time. Like everyone looks awkward and like flailing around. Like, yes. but when you do it enough, you get more comfortable. So this expectation of like, when you pick up a new tool you're gonna have to practice for a while and you're not gonna be an expert that doesn't mean it's not worth trying but the way you see fruit and the way you see doing something like the way you're gonna get different results is actually by doing something different not just reading the book or taking the class but actually Mm -hmm. implementing it well that's my actual experience with your course the habit lab was I did read atomic habits and I did read the book called tiny habits and I was very inspired, yeah, yeah, but I had no idea what to do first, right, right, no idea. So it wasn't until I took your class that I actually understood how to break down these big, really great theories that were very relatable. I could see that there were glaring signs in my life <laughs> of, you know, the fact that I didn't have a great structure inside of myself for developing lasting change. But really, that's what your class did for me was actually mm-hmm. help me understand the how to. 
Mm. I don't know that there's a lot of resources out there other than yours that actually break down the how-to any better. Mm. Thanks, friend. Yeah. It's fun because it's like everyone gets to make their own habit. You know what I mean? So it's not like making mine or it's like, yeah, and then I'll show you how to do it. It's almost like batting practice. Like, cool, pick up your bat. Ooh, choke up, bend your knees a little bit. Like, But you get to use your own bat because you're going to take that home with you. So it makes sense to like bring your own instrument or wherever your pain point is. Like, Pick that area. Let's Absolutely. Do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the context of relationships. Oh, so many because relationship Because you habits. guys, I know, because you guys have, um, you've seen a lot of these things play out in your coaching mm-hmm. and in your teaching. So you had a lot of exposure to different types of couples and you've seen a lot of people come across your screen. So in your opinion, what are some of the main things that get in the way of connection? Mm-hmm. within intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for starters, and we all we a lot of times like to point back to the connection codes where we got some of the basic undergirding of this stuff that we do, um, but it's communicating emotion and communicating it often and not com- communicating through the emotion. And so gaining a, an emotional vocabulary of these basic eight that exist out there, and these are the ones that you'll find on brain scans. These are like the primary colors of emotions. Um, using that and getting back down to those basics and sharing those often yeah. um, and doing so. Well, and I was going to say, so when we taught, when we teach people like, Hey, like go learn how to do emotion led communication. Then the next phase is yeah. like, how do you not be defensive? Which, cause everyone's like, cool. Mm-hmm. I said it. And I was so triggered and I stopped listening <laughs> yeah. and totally. I did the first thing. So then what the little thing that we like the phrase that's been our helpful tool for that is we actually developed one with our kids. Cause we're teaching them to like communicate via emotions first is you can connect with their sad and it doesn't mean you're bad Mm. because how often the defensiveness is triggered when their emotion you're taking it as an identity statement or you want to defend yourself so either i feel like we we think that there's usually two camps there's camp like in defensiveness it's either camp shame which was me i would like spiral as i'd hear his pain and i would like be like am i bad am i bad like this introspective my ears would turn off and i'm like am i this terrible person mm. but then aaron went uh he would do more camp i do the opposite blame. so i'd be afraid that i i was bad but i didn't want that to be the case and when we talk about this is you can share emotion about your day like my boss this and I felt sad but really in a relationship that is the most connecting is when we get out of like, the stuff I felt lonely when I didn't have help with laundry last week and I had asked yeah. for help with laundry and then last everything week. <laughs> inside of me raises real big because I'm like I am not a bad husband and I know that's yes. what you're trying to say right now <laughs> uh, and so that's where I would she would spiral in shame for herself and I would spiral in blame and I go nope you were the problem here somehow it wow. definitely ain't me and so we but both of our ears roles. would turn off. So yes. it was like, okay, the first step is learning how to communicate. And the second step is to keep your ears on yeah. when you're communicating yes. that way. Yes. So that's been, actually, it's funny because this year has probably been the most revolutionary for our own marriage. Yeah. Even like all these tiny habits of like going after, like we call it, def- what do you call it? Um, defenseless listening. Oh yeah. Vulnerably Becoming listening. a def- defenseless listener. Cause we talk about vulnerable communication, which is I'm sharing the emotions inside of me that are vulnerable to share. But as a listener, you have to be vulnerable as well. Cause being vulnerable means oh, yeah. I'm exposing myself to possible hurt. Uh, and so a d- vulnerable listener is somebody who is not defending themselves, AKA I got no shields up. I got no walls up. Therefore I am vulnerable to the things that you were saying. And you have to be in that spot to create connection because a vulnerable listener is going to allow the other person to show up fully without having to combat the walls and combat the defenses and combat the shields that you put up. And so creating a vulnerable listener is one of the hardest things we've ever had to do. Yep. Yes. And that was this year for us. So like he worked on, not blaming when he heard my emotions and I really worked on not shaming myself. Yeah. So, I'd so like, her phrase was I that can, what she had said He can said be early. sad and it doesn't mean I'm bad, which my mm, version of it so I good. needed to hear. And I would literally repeat it, like talking about habits. Yeah. I was like, I would go after it. And then I'd also have to remind myself to not, not go in because I wouldn't mean to, but I'd be so filled with shame. I'd stop listening. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so that was my breakdown. And then he would stop listening because he'd have his defense, like his, li- oh, you know, his yeah, case so ready to tell I would me why. Also, yes. I would have the same phrase, but it would be coming from a different place. <laughs> she can be sad and it doesn't mean I'm bad. And I'm saying the same exact thing, but in my head, actually what I'm doing is going, she, she's probably not actually saying that I'm bad because that's right. what I'm hearing. And right. we're both yeah. hearing the same thing, but I have to go like, okay, this is probably what all the stuff I'm feeling right now, this insecurity is not her fault. So I can feel this way 
Okay, and I can feel sad and it doesn't mean she's bad. Yeah. So she's not wrong for sharing emotions. She's not wrong That's for so saying good. I felt lonely with laundry. She's probably not even saying you aren't a good husband. Likely she's not saying that because I'm constantly making up stories uh, that she is telling me. And so there came a point where as we were working through this, I was like, I would say the thing over myself like, okay, she can be sad and it doesn't mean she's saying that you're bad right now. You're not bad. I know that I'm not bad. So we're okay. I can actually listen to her. But I had to break it down to what do I what's what's the message that I think I'm receiving right now? Like we have a tool that's called "That's What She Said." It's uh, actually a habit he developed when he would get triggered by something that I he would go great. write it out. And yeah. Journal. So this is one of those things. It would be basically the steps are what actually happened, the scenario, uh, and then what did, what was the message that I heard from that? Very objective, fact based, could be on a police report scenario, and the message was so many times about the que- unanswered questions within myself. Yes. Am I a good husband? Am I a good father? Uh, like the other day, someone asked me if I was gonna do something at a meeting, and I so I got so triggered at the play date, and I literally came home and I was like, I need. 10 minutes, babe. Can you take the kids? Cause I have to process through this. And I did this little, like this little exercise. And what I like, what was said was literally three sentences, but what I heard was almost like a whole page. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, how often is that true? Where it's yeah. like, I heard accusation that I was failing as a leader, that I was wasting their time. It got like dark wow. fast. And I was like, Oh, that's why I was so triggered. But until you, when you plainly put it on words, it almost takes the power out. And you're like, mm-hmm. she didn't say this. This is no longer about her. This is yeah. actually about me. Yeah. And it's the difference between saying that in your head when you're like, no, I have the evidence. <laughs> it okay. is actually about me. How often do we try to get the other person to change mm-hmm. instead of really take a hard look at, am yeah. I even hearing this right? Like, yeah. am I the, am how much of this am I responsible mm-hmm. for? Yeah. And because in, in a marriage, in a relationship, man, if you would quit doing this, I would be fine. Yes. Oh, yes. The, Isn't we, it, it's such powerless it's talk like, that people it's don't like realize. This underlying mm-hmm. theme in our lives that we grow up, right? We mm-hmm. grow up with this belief system that, like, man, yeah. if everyone else would just, because I'm fine on my own. Right. Yeah. And then you find out, like, no, the most powerful place to be is first in understanding, like, how, who am I? Mm-hmm. And how do I hear? And why does this bother me so much? Yeah. That's a really incredibly um, brave journey to go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of being able to create a habit, right? Where you mm-hmm. sit down and you go, what did I hear? And what, what happened? And what did I hear? Yeah. And then being able to look at the truth of that. Yeah, and that the last part, the truth of it is flipping the script. So I realized like, oh, I'm already making stuff up. So I'm already making stuff up. This is a story I told myself. What if I made up something that was positive? Like what if I made up the opposite and the cold flipping the script? Because I'm like, I would hear the message that she doesn't want to be around me. She's not interested in me. She doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. This was around sex one time. This is real life example of what happened. (laughs) Around Jenna had scheduled, put some things on her calendar. you thought I meant I wasn't interested in sex. Yeah, she put stuff on her calendar in the middle of the time that we had planned on having sex. So I'm like, I got a whole page of story. And so then I was like, okay, one, it puts the power back in your court to say, oh, I'm actually not a victim. I'm actually really good at telling myself victim stories, but I could tell myself a different story. And so then I just started playing a story. What if Jenna is actually like really, really cares about me? And what if she was trying to help me with this? And I just laid this whole thing out. Jenna's so horny right now. (laughs) (laughs) I may not go that far. It has to still feel factual. It has to to feel real. I'm coming in right now. He runs in the door and he's like, what's happening? (laughs) I've done that other script and it does not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oh my yeah. gosh. But it was so, cool because he actually read it to me and wow. what he read about um, what like the story is telling itself. I was like, that is me. That is what I was yeah, doing. The, and then, when I, once I flipped, it, flipped the script, the, the good oh. part. And I felt so like, known and seen I, it was bizarre because he was telling me pain and all the story but I actually felt really loved because of how it ended and stuff so I think that uh-huh. but what's been key for us is actually making a habit out of it yeah. so we actually will write it down because when I see things plainly on the paper I don't know how mm-hmm. to describe it it actually takes the power out of it and I, I see how extreme it is like when they're floating around your head like does yeah. he even love me you're like like it almost but when you say like of yeah. course he loves me I have all this evidence so now if we have something that's like really high emotion we both have our own version of we'll write it out like what did I hear what's my emotion what's the story I'm telling myself or we'll process it with somebody else I'll do that actually more often as Mm -hmm. I'll go tell a friend this is what she said this is the story I heard 
but it's also possible that she could have been saying the total opposite of that. <laughs> uh-huh. But the point is, we still vulnerably share. Like somebody mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, does that mean you like when you figure it yeah. all out?" I'm like, no, we just take the barbed wire out, yeah. where we're not trying to cut the other person. Where it's actually, mm-hmm. I know that my best chance to be known and have him show up softly is giving him a soft message. Yeah. So me amazing. doing that first is going to get a better, better care. It's almost selfish. I know yeah. it sounds funny, but I'm yeah. like, I know I'll get a better husband out of it who listens differently. If I do take the time to invest and show up really soft. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so good. Okay. So this is all under the category of emotion led communication. Yeah. So yeah. you see when couples don't know how to have emotion led communication, it contributes to breakdown in connection. Would you say that's true? Oh, a hundred (laughs) percent. Yes. Okay. And it's funny because so the opposite is usually a lot like logistic based connection, you know, but then it's funny because a lot of times while people, um, the other day it was like about an Advil bottle or something like that. And they're like explaining this fight. We were like coaching them and they were like, we were like, well, did you share with your emotions? And they're like, no, it's, it was about the Advil being in the wrong spot. And we're like, and then we like got we down to it in, and the wife was like, like so started crying. Fear. She's like, I have so much fear about our kids being unsafe and that I'm alone and caring for their safety. And like, so it's crazy how often people think there yes. aren't, logi- yeah. there are only logistic yeah. conversations and they're not. You're yeah, like, I, very I'm, few things are, lo- are very, just yeah, purely no, logistical. I don't, I would say 99%. I honestly, any experience that you have is an emotional experience because as humans, we don't, we don't actually know what happened unless we experience an emotion, which is yeah. to say right. every single time for every single thing even when we feel numb or bored there are emotions and there are messages behind those emotions and there are messages created from those emotions it's happening constantly that was probably the first habit that we had to make though was me because i was the logic robot where i was like no it's logistics there's no emotions here and uh i did great robot hands right there for all of you who (laughs) couldn't see it (laughs) but i had to just decide that i was going to believe everybody when they said there was an emotion behind everything because i just i was like what if i just experiment for three months and try to find the emotion because I didn't believe mm-hmm. it for a while and then saw how it was true. So it was like, I don't sound funny, but I had to like go on the journey because sometimes people want to try something for a week or two, but I'm right. like, you have to do longer to actually get enough data. I think it's statistics. Like yeah. Yeah. you have to have like 50 points before you can actually make an assumption about your results. So yes. can I, can I add this piece just for the listeners? We like the main way that human beings connect is through emotion. Mm-hmm. And so we don't connect through data. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. And um, I think we all learned this from Dr. Glenn mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Hill and, and Phyllis through the connection codes. But when you just talk about data, it's just information being passed back and forth. You're mm-hmm. not like, wow, I feel so connected. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so important to learn how to do emotion-based connection. Mm-hmm. Because that is the point at which you both go, Ooh, we're bonding. We're building this connection. We're on the same page. We're Mm -hmm. going somewhere. And so if you don't dive deep into, gosh, what is this emotion and get really good at it, Mm -hmm. even almost to an unconscious level, you're able to just go, I felt so sad earlier today when you said this, Mm -hmm. think in terms of emotion, actually think in terms of emotion. When you get to that level, Mm -hmm. it's like the, the marriage conflicts go from like three hours long or weeks long to like, just a oh she just doesn't know what I'm feeling right now or yeah. oh I need to I need to to clue her in or mm-hmm. I mean it goes to something that's actually solvable because I don't have to fix this I just have to let you know where I'm at yeah and and we can con- now we're connected and now we're back on the road because connection when we're connected everything makes sense yeah totally. when we're disconnected nothing makes sense I can't even remember why I married you. like <laughs> right, yeah. how did I take on all this responsibility oh before gosh. yeah I'll that's disconnection our brain is so turned off when we feel disconnected yeah. and a lot of times what we think is I'll come to you with hey you didn't do this thing and like can you not do that again and even if if she goes oh yeah no I'll do that I'll make sure not to do that or I'll make sure to do that whatever it is there's still a part of me that had experienced some sadness some hurt some yeah. loneliness whatever and I feel, I still continue even though I go okay I hope she doesn't do that again what's unresolved is I don't feel known by her right and that's where I see connection happening the most is when I share an emotion behind whatever the logistics are and she goes oh yeah that would feel lonely I could imagine that then I go oh she gets me and then if she no matter what she does after that I'm like yeah. well she knows me at least yeah. But what I love is that you guys have created a habit Mm -hmm. around connecting through emotions, Mm -hmm. which to me feels like a a game changer. It's like, because 
most people are just going like, I have to, okay, connection is the most important thing in my marriage. I have to think about how to connect. Yeah. Date night or. Yeah. yeah. I got to think of all these different ways to like build connection or relationship. And those things are valuable. Mm -hmm. But when you create a habit around it, you're building an ecosystem, Mm -hmm. right? You're gaining a skill set that you don't lose. It, It becomes an asset to your life that now we just took our marriage to the next level because we gained a new skill set, a yeah. new asset. And I think, man, that is a massive, uh, massive clue for anybody who's married to go, let's build a few habits around connecting mm-hmm. well, we through say, emotion. Like, you know, they have the Connection Codes has an emotion wheel that's just eight and you can get it for free on their website. But we just did it at bedtime. Our little habit for starter step was just mm-hmm. to do it at night before we went to bed for a while until yeah. it became fluid. And it was yeah. like, we needed an anchor moment. If we just said, we'll do it once a day, it was hard. Yeah. Having the kids brought in initially, we tried was too hard. We eventually did do it at dinner with them because we want them to be included. But, um, picking that first and I liken it to like, we have a, we have a three-year-old right now and we are four-year-old. I keep saying that. And then we have a six-year-old and the three-year-old still at the fluency level with his colors. We're, we're doing flashcards where that's what it feels like when you're doing the habit wheel or the sorry the emotion wheel every night it's like a flashcard learning with your emotions you're like oh that's what that feels like that's what orange looks like that's what lonely felt like Mm -hmm. and then my six-year-old now will be like hey i want to wear my purple dress like it's not like she's like what's that flashcard like thinking really hard but because she did the work and practice the fluency level she now can like recognize it as it's happened whereas adults we don't think like you know we don't think in terms of colors but we're conscious of them all the time so like that it's like the progression as you get more and more familiar it was funny the other day I was at the dentist and my kids had cavities and I was like triggered and the dentist was like telling me stuff and I was like, I'm sorry, can you give me a moment? I'm just flooded with shame right now because the the statement this makes me feel like a bad mom and all the things. And I started tearing up, did not mean to, like didn't go in to be like, I hey, I'm gonna that. vulnerably share with my dentist. And he like put his hand on my shoulder and he was like so kind and like told oh. me all the science behind why it wasn't my fault and mm. that I shouldn't wear this, like all these things. And I felt... I got so much comfort from my dentist Amazing. accidentally because wow. I shared Amazing. my emotion. <laughs> That's brilliant. I want to dive in to what you guys do for your kids and stuff, mm. but can we talk a little bit about just how to create a healthy habit? Yeah. Because I, I think we've talked a lot about your marriage and, and, and what habits look like, but can you talk about like how do people just the practical skill mm-hmm. of building a habit and yeah. why it's important? So I mean, you start with the thing that you want to do, but you start tiny. You start real small. Uh, and because when you want to create a lifelong change, uh, doing something real big, real fast uh, is not good for that. Um, so doing something small that you can do consistently, and that's really the why we make something small, is so that we don't have to use a ton of willpower in order to do something consistently. So you pick something small, like two minutes. Uh, we always say offensively small. Your offensively first habit, small. like the action and associated with it should be two to five minutes offensively small where you could you have like no excuse to Can not you give do an it. example um yeah yeah that would be oh, go I was, ahead i was gonna say i did a five minute ab workout so regardless mm. of like how <laughs> to, i was like cool yeah. and then i was proud of it i thought yes. it'd be silly but i was like i was proud of myself or um one of my habits was just running my dishwasher every night and when i started it wasn't a full dishwasher. It wasn't putting all the dirty dishes in the dishwasher. It was simply running it. So on nights that I didn't have it in me, I'm like, I still was successful because I ran it with five bowls in there. Yeah. (laughs) When I was writing my book, it was, I had this thought in my head that I had to have three hours minimum Mm. in order to do it. And guess how many times I wrote in a three month period that I thought it had to have three hours? None. Because I didn't have three hours at a time. But when I, there's one day I, after reading the book and working on this, I was like five minutes. Success is five Mm. minutes. And I wrote my book, I finished my book in one month after that five minute thing, because it was, it made me, it helped me master the art of actually showing up to the computer, which is really what we need. And for us with marriage habits, especially around emotions, it's, you have to master the art of showing up to this thing before you can make this thing amazing. So I just have to get there to where we go two minutes, we share our emotions. Today, I felt joy when this happened. Today, I felt sadness when this happened. I just show up until eventually we know 
know that this is just what we do. How do we take this to the next level? So you start small so that you can be consistent and you anchor it to something in reality for you. So we, for us, like it a was a moment in time or a right. habit that already exists. So like, like I said, when we, uh, when our heads hit the pillow, we would go through the emotion wheel every night. So it's before mm-hmm. we went to sleep, but it was like the first thing we do. Or one of my anchor moments is, um, when I go downstairs, I take my, I instantly go to the, to the, as soon as I go downstairs in the morning, I go take my vitamins and I check my daily schedule, which is next to my fridge by my vitamins to reassociate. Like, what do I have going on today? What do I need to think ahead? Mm -hmm. How much time do I have before the kids wake up? So it's like already I go downstairs regardless. What do I do instantly? Like that's, you want something really specific for an anchor moment, not like in the morning because then it's too floaty. Mm. So it's like when you're brushing your teeth, you're going to do a uh, five push-up. Wait, that'd be a bad, bad <laughs> that'd be dangerous. <laughs> no for push-ups while brushing your calf teeth. Calf <laughs> raises. You could do calf raises while you're doing your you brushing your teeth. So the so anchor you, moment. So basically when you're creating a habit, you pick something small. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be a, uh, I want to be an incredible communicator. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I need to just start really small. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start by looking at the eight core emotions. Mm-hmm. But if I have something that I already do every day mm-hmm. that I can anchor this new habit to, yeah. I'm now more successful, right? Yes. Correct. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to brush my teeth and look at the core emotion mm-hmm. wheel at the same time. Is yep. that what you're talking that would about? Be a great one. Perfect. Or okay. put it in your car, and when you're driving home from work every day, you like think about it, get it out, and look at it, or something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Actually, in coaching one guy around this, he took the emotion wheel and actually put it, attached a magnet to it to the magnet in his car, so that when he got in the car to put his phone there, it was like, oh, that's where it is. And then he runs through it and then puts his phone up. Gotcha. So before he's even allowed to put his phone on. So it's an anchor. You have to pick your moment in time. You pick your small um, behavior, your habit, which is two to five minutes. And then also at the end, it's actually really important to have, they call it a moment of shine, which means um, where habits are actually your brain's path. Like, um, like, hey, this is a problem I had. Here's the path to the solution. And the quicker, like, it's almost like a biohack. And if you can attach an emotion and a positive emotion to this new pattern you just made in your brain, your brain will be like, remember this pattern. Like, there's a dopamine hit at the end. So what that looks like for us is, um, like, whenever I do some admin, because that's just challenging <laughs> for my personality type, I actually personally, to stir up some emotion, I'll play taking care of business. And I, like, shimmy a bit. Like, taking care of business. And then sometimes I voice memo Aaron too. Oh yeah, I get the random taking care of business songs. I'm like, oh, she got a lot done today. I was like, look at me. Um, Or Aaron, what what was one of yours? Your moment of shine? Yeah, I was, I was just trying to remember to roll down the windows a bit uh, in the summer because every time I get in my car, it was so freaking hot. And so the way that I like helped anchor that in besides repetition was as soon as I rolled it down, I started, uh, started singing ice, ice baby. And it was just like (laughs) some way to make it, it just sticks out a little bit in your head. Or I've done patting myself on the back or I've had one lady that was like, I'm so good at taking care of my, or my heart when she did her emotion wheel. Like that yeah. was, it was just an expression that she said, but to remember it also is cool when you, it does give you perp, like if your moment of shine gives you a reminder of why the, per, what the purpose is. Yeah. So the idea of taking care of your heart is like, Oh, that's so good. So anyways, it's your anchor moment, your tiny habit. And then a moment of shine is a recipe for a habit. I think, um, I'm going to ask you guys what you guys think the biggest mistake is, but like I've tried so many new things mm-hmm. just in my life. That's that's just part of who I am, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I typically go all in. Mm-hmm. I'm like an all in type of guy. Like yeah. I'm not just gonna like ride a bike. Oh, I'm gonna be a cyclist. <laughs> and, <laughs> I remember that face. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna get the gear, and I'm gonna get the bike, and I'm gonna like I'm gonna do this thing. And off, I remember one time I jumped on my bike, and I hadn't ridden in a really long time. And Lauren was like okay, can you just not like, can you just not go all out? And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ended up having to call her to come get me because <laughs> I had Because gone. he went like 40 miles yeah. and he hadn't ridden in months. I couldn't make it home. I cramped up so bad. <laughs> and then the, the, the stupid thing is, is like, I don't want to get back on the bike again. Yeah. yeah right? Like totally. I'm just, I'm done. And so that, that like. He literally was done. I don't know that you've gotten back on a bike. No, I, I'm, I, maybe I haven't, but the thing is like, it's so tempting to start big. Yeah. It's so tempting to be like mm, yeah. five minute abs. Like I'm not going to become yeah, like one of those guys happen. on 300 with five minute abs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
how, how do I get this big, like, how do I get this big breakthrough in my life with five minute apps, you know? And it almost takes more willpower to do oh, yeah. something small mm-hmm. than it does to like start something big at first. Right. I think. Yeah. That's that's why I call it offensively small because a lot, it's actually one of the whole lessons of my class is the all or nothing mentality Mm because it's so widespread. Like they, the narrative that goes with it is what's the point. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you go so small, like I won't ever get there. But I think the idea of like, Oh, you want sustainability. It's not to look like that guy for one month and then have an injury and never look like him again or not be able to work out. It's like what you want to change. Like you're the kind of person and takes care of yourself and invest in your health for longevity. Okay. So you just did an identity thing. Yes. Accidentally. Huh? (laughs) I love it. Like you just said, you're the kind of person that takes care of yourself and longevity. So I think, adding that to the recipe, which mm-hmm. I know that you guys would for creating the habit, right? Like mm-hmm. is, is key. Why do you want, why, why are you creating this habit? Mm-hmm. And can you explain that a little bit? Cause you just yeah. did that. The identity piece. Yeah. Is you the just piece. did that inside when, of yourself. Yeah. So whenever I create a new habit, I think about why it matters. And a lot of times I used to do it like goal-based, like, yeah. because I, so I ran a half marathon this yeah. fall and prior to this like journey that probably would have been the pinnacle and then be like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm done. Like I ran the marathon or, yeah. or hoped like, yeah, I'll keep running. Of course, you know, like this like aspiration, yeah. but realizing like I had switched my goal for fitness at some point where it was like, not something I it wasn't a goal I was attaining. It was part of who I was. It became an identity because that's where long-term is where it's like yes. the kind of person I am, not a goal I'm hitting. So when do you have a goal versus have something like, do you always go, okay, my goals get me to, mm, let me say it like this, like my identity then decides the goals that Mm -hmm. take me to achieve that. Is that how you're kind of, I usually, what I do is I I change my habits. So I will have like, so with even just this exercise one in the last year, I have done four different or five different habits in it because I need personal, like with my Mm -hmm. personality, um, change is helpful for me like to not feel bored or boxed in but I was like okay what is my goal like so it started with uh, actually cycle I got into cycling this summer and I did it like a a 25 mile race so I spent a couple months just like prepping for the race and then I was like okay now I need a new one I'm gonna do a half marathon and then I just finished a weight program after I finished my half marathon with my friend in her room and then her garage so then I swapped so it's like my goals my habits change as my goals shift because I still that overall all umbrella of my identity statement of I'm investing in my health. For me, it's because I've just watched so many older folks like be limited yeah. by not taking care of themselves. And it was a wake up call for me this summer when I was very visiting family realizing like, Oh, like not investing in your health actually hurts connection long-term. Like the, what I can do with this family member versus that family member who took care of their body is like two options versus this family member. Who's in awesome health. I can do, he, they can just keep up with us. And it's so awesome. So I was like, I want to be that grandma. So I'm going to be that grandma when I start making habits now at mm-hmm. 38. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like my long term, like you said. I almost think of it like your GPS, where it's like you put it in your final destination is the identity piece, but every turn that you take is different. And that's my, how my habits change as my goals change. And like you said, it could be like if you have a financial goal for a season two, like some of my my finance identity one is I want to be a good steward and responsible. And um, but there's like a little bit of risk in there. I don't have yeah. mine. I've I write yeah. out my identity statements actually a lot for okay. mine because I like to keep them in front of me. So um with the finance one, I actually did a month spending freeze after Christmas because I realized I was literally just in the habit of spending because mm. of Christmas. And I didn't feel shame because I was like, that's the purpose, but I'm going to continue unless I actually do like a detox where I do something different. But then my, my, after that, it's now, um, thinking long-term with, we actually feel like we're in a generosity season. So my like small, like seasonal, things shift even if my identity for my goal in that area is like the same does that make sense yeah so like long term but then seasonally it shifts can i ask a question so if we're talking about you know what are some major pitfalls to creating good habits Mm -hmm. one of them would be the all or nothing mentality that'd be a pitfall would you say along these lines another pitfall would be if you try to do something that's incongruent with what you believe about yourself yeah or how would you set somebody up for success like if that is a pitfall then what's this what is the key to making a habit stick with regards to identity like how do you link them 
Yeah. So you know how we we would say that your identity will put a timestamp on your habits if it's incongruent. And so um, it's starting with deciding like what what is the kind of person that I want to be, not just where do I want to arrive after this goal, because the motivation will leave as soon as the goal is met. So the motivation around an identity statement is the kind of man that I am um, learning to become. And sometimes you'll say this is the man that I am. And that's how you want to anchor your identity to this thing that you're doing, but sometimes that doesn't feel true enough. Like, oh, I'm not the kind of man who does this because I have so much evidence that points to it otherwise. So we do something called a bridge statement um, in which we'll create an identity that is, I am learning to become the kind of man who X, Y, Z. And so So I'm becoming, I'm learning, I'm on a journey, but this psychologists say that this, whatever you're almost like, I think in our culture, we call them declarations. If your brain thinks that's not true, it won't actually let it sink in. But if you attach a bridge statement to it, so I'm becoming the kind of person that that's when your brain's like, okay, I can get behind that. That's not a false lie. We're working towards that. We're growing. We're practicing. So it's like, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but no, that's great. That's why the bridge statement is so important. Yeah, that's really good. That's super good. Um, I feel like I'm I'm kind of putting myself in a listener's shoes, and I think I have like five thousand questions. Sure, so, yeah. which is great. And we're going to make sure that yeah, we that's send why the people. Is Ten weeks. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to make yeah. sure that we send people to the resources that you guys have available because it is it is tricky. Like especially, I mean, we're talking in the context specifically of relational health mm-hmm. and connection inside of intimacy, and so. I mean, yeah, I just have a thousand questions on behalf of all the listeners, but for the sake of moving the conversation along, this is just meant to be a little bit of like a taste test of Mm -hmm. how could someone consider habits when they consider the changes that they want to see inside of their marriages or inside of their families. So before we, before we wrap up, could you guys give us a little snapshot of what it has looked like for you to implement some of these things with your kids? Mm-hmm. What does it look like for you to take habits into family connection, just beyond mm-hmm. your marriage or beyond your own personal goals? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it really, the the first thing that we did, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is at the dinner table, one, having dinner at the table together. That was a, we had to actually, uh, actually do that. But then too, um, we would always ask them, uh, what's a higher, a high and a low from the day. Uh, we call it high, ho, high, low and silly. So, but then once we got to the emotional language around it, we said, okay, what's a joy moment from today? Uh, what's mm. a sad moment from mm. today? And we would do, sometimes we do the whole wheel because mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of, you know, how that, like the idea about um, nowadays using the proper terms, penis and vagina, because then the kids are less, like have yeah. be- their actual correct vernacular. That's what we realized with this. Like, I actually want them to know what loneliness or sad or yeah. hurt or shame feels like, because if we could teach them at six, instead of having to learn it at 35. Yes. Yeah. So like, that's why we actually swapped out. I think it's important to swap out your language. And the other day I was, um, so we've been working on it with them, like he said, with the habit, at specifically at the dinner table for a while. We don't do it anymore because we we got it decently fluent. Yeah, we like, do that still more six in and not uh-huh. conversation. So, but the other day, my six-year-old didn't listen while picking up um, our preschooler, and she ran back to me as we were walking out, and she goes, I'm feeling some guilt because I knew that I wasn't supposed to go over to that part of the classroom, mm. and I did it. And I was like, yes. Wow. Okay, it's worth it. That's so good. And then we've more recently, as we learn tools, I think we just start to try, like once we have a grasp on them, I would say that's a really big thing with habits with your kids. Do not try to implement or give away a habit until it has roots and it's growing fruit in Within your own life. yourself. Yeah, that's great. Like when you try to do it simultaneously, it's too much. Can you give an example? Yeah, like so us figuring out our feet, like emotion wheel and having a value for emotions when the kids were kicking and screaming and thinking it was dumb at the table, if I hadn't decided it wasn't dumb already internally, I would have listened to them. Or mm-hmm. the... Um, after we taught them emotions and we'd get them when they'd have conflict with each other, like, can you, um, she's sad. We, so we would use like, can you connect with Rosie sad? And uh, like instantly or other one would be like, I didn't do it. Or I wasn't trying to say that, you know, all the things that we do as adults, but like more yeah. obviously more internally kids. most of the time. Yeah. So then we were like, that's when we developed the phrase. You can connect with their sad. It doesn't mean you're bad. And as they're like, I can't, I can't. And if I hadn't resolved that piece that it's possible and I've mm-hmm. done it enough of yeah. myself, like I wouldn't almost be able to coach them through. 
different. Yeah. So like yes. your parent is your role as the parent is kind of to be the coach. And if you haven't mastered, not yeah. mastered, but if you don't have some fluency before you're trying to coach someone, yeah. it's going to be a hot mess. You have to stay at least one lesson ahead of the kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So but true. then then the thing we're working on now is uh, choose connection instead of correction, because how often they'll like want to be right. It's the like, um, want to defend like that's not what they said or meant over listening to their heart and like totally can you just listen to her sad first and then explain what you meant afterwards like we just went just choose connection and the other day uh my daughter came back and you know how when you do things with kids and you're like is this even pointless like are you capable of understanding this concept i do not know i'm not seeing any fruit but i'm gonna go after it because it is what i'm learning and then my nine-year-old circled back and she was like ah I did it again, mom. I chose being my chose correction over connection. I'm sorry. And I was like, wow, there's hope. Okay. Okay. It's not instant. I think that's the thing is we think it's going to be instant, but I was like, this is months of like watering the fields. And eventually we got one sprout. We're like, it's worth it. We're going to keep going. So have you guys like sat your kids down and went, Hey, we're going to, as a family, create some healthy habits together. And like, here's what we're going to do for the room and here's what we're going to do for car time. And here's what we're going to like, have you guys laid out a structure for your kids? Like, how do you tackle that kind of stuff? Yeah, we definitely, they talk about habits all the time. Yeah. The other day, our four-year-old was like, I have a new habit, mom. We need to eat ice cream after dinner every night. Oh my goodness. (laughs) He's onto it. He's onto it. But yes, we've actually been intentional and said, okay, this is what we're doing. It's never, we don't make it very high stakes because the kids Mm -hmm. don't connect to that at all. And, the so, pressure. Yeah. so and keeping it like so them unloading the dishwasher was one of their first habits mm-hmm. they have to put their dirty clothes immediately in the laundry chute every night they have to bring all their stuff in from the car so things that they would call chores because they saw me like i clued them into our habits and then aaron's habits so habits feels like a like a personal responsibility yep. rather than like this task thing and then also showing them the consequences of like when you don't like then we couldn't find your homework bag because it was in the mm. car still and then it may be late and do you remember how anxious you felt so actually kind of watching like helping them map out the causation of them not doing it and how it affects Amazing. them rather than like just we do what we say like oh remember how anxious you felt that's why we have this habit and then two i think one thing i would really like to say is that there is a seasonality of habits which is interesting because it feels like okay you're going after consistency you're mastering the art of showing up but i think the difference of like people who've been burned with structure or avoided it growing up who is so intense that's where can control can seep in and the idea of like i actually seasonally assess my habits literally every season so spring winter fall decide like i partner with the lord and what are what's happening in our family and decide what our goal like what's my word for that season and then literally run through list my habits and decide what I need to change or what I should add to match so for instance last summer I sold my business and I had the first time I wasn't working all summer and I felt like I was supposed to take a sabbath with the kids so I literally made a like habits to adjust I let go of things I added more things like took a month off of social media said no more pulled them out of some activities so we could actually rest more but the idea of like they're not what you're meant to live and die they're supposed to match your season so be flexible so I always say be stubborn about your goals but flexible how you get there and with kids it's so important with that too guys this is gold it's amazing gold we might just have to have you back someday to kind of crack into some questions i feel like one of the things that we like is for people to kind of text us or send us messages mm. with their questions and stuff sometimes oh. we implement them into like a q a session that's great so um we'll see we might just have to do that because there's so much more to say but how can people access the resources that you do have Mm-hmm. Um, my mastery course, I have, my website is called thehabitlab.org, and that has the information all about my 10 week course. It's online or in person in writing. Then together, our podcast and coaching information for marriage coaching or individually is zintsquad.com. Mm-hmm. And Aaron actually does a lot of um, coaching specifically for men around purity as well. Mm-hmm. He's led the local purity group at our church for a while. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And so uh, you can check out, I have a book all about that on our website, zinsquad.com, and you can find it on Amazon. It's called Numb to Known, uh, The Surprising Path Away from Porn. And then I also do like online small groups for guys who are um, intentionally going after this area in their life. Um, so you can check out all that information on our website. That's so good. Thanks for having us. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Would you guys just, as we wrap up, would you just pray for our listeners? I feel like you guys don't just have practical tools in this area, but I really do feel like you 
carry keys for breakthrough for mm-hmm. people and mm-hmm. hope in areas where people don't have hope for change. Yeah. Would you just pray mm-hmm. for everybody before we go? Yeah. yeah, that's actually my favorite. So Jesus, we just release hope to everyone who's listening in those areas that they have actually stopped trying, that they have kind of shut the door and given up for something to be different. Mm-hmm. I just speak a reigniting of hope that like a flicker of hope that maybe they could start so small in the areas that they feel like are beyond change mm-hmm. because that's what is available from you is nothing's beyond hope and nothing's out of reach of what is possible for transformation and reformation and turnaround. So we just release hope to all those areas that they've stopped dreaming that it could be different or better. And even just the, um, the creative solutions, how keys, little small habits that they would not have thought could actually open the door to major breakthroughs and big results. I pray that you would just creatively inspire people or hear in conversation, um, small habits that could actually yield like really good and big fruit that it's not Mm -hmm. a one for one exchange in the kingdom. Like they could do one unit of effort for Mm -hmm. 10 hundred fold results because that's, that's the nature of who you are. Yeah, and I just declare the intimacy and the connection that mm. people are so desperate for and they want in their marriage and they want with their kids and yeah. they want with you. Um, I just declare that that connection is possible. That connection is what they're made to live in. Uh, it's the direction that you're um, moving them in and it's inevitable that you will be connected. You will be known. You will find the intimacy that you're looking for. So I declare that in Jesus name, there's a place for your loneliness. And that is in family that is in your marriage that is with your kids. Uh, and it is with the Lord. And even just a bravery for be the, to be the pioneer for those who are mm-hmm. listening in the area. It's worth going after it and trying something new because you could actually literally change your family line, your marriage, how your parents do relationship. Like you could change everything, but there takes bravery to be the one to want to do it differently and effort to do it. And you could be that person. So we just release hope and bravery for going after new family dynamics. Yeah. Amen. 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 Guys, thank you so much for coming today. Yeah. And uh, listen, if you guys like the podcast, go ahead and say that you like it. So leave a review, click subscribe on there, share it with a friend. Mm -hmm. That's a great way. Otherwise, um, go ahead and create some new healthy habits in your life. We will see you all next week.